You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Hello, Michael. Andre, how the hell are you? I'm pretty darn good. Um, I was at the STEM portfolio tasting yesterday where... I love this STEM tasting. I'm really mad I missed it. Okay, there's a swear jar. Uh, I guess we'll call them loonies right there. Uh, yeah, I actually... A, I thought it was a nickel. No, 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 no. We're going for the big bucks right away. Oh, that's not fair. Um, hey, you're the one with the potty mouth. Anyways, um, a highlight like from that was... I like the STEM tasting. I've always liked the STEM tasting. How was it? It was amazing. It. There was um, some really great Argentinian wine there. Um, Tuscan beer. So I, th- I think Tuscan I'm... Beer. I think I think I'm going to be putting an, an order in for some beers from Tuscany. It was really remarkable because they had some pale ale style stuff, but... Um, the acidity wasn't quite as, as bright and crisp, and it really helped keep these wines from being bitter bombs, which is not a style of beer you I mean enjoy. Beer. Pardon me? You mean the beer. Yeah, yeah I'm, talking the about beer, the, I'm talking right? about the beer. I'm talking about the Tuscan beers. And then I was... Was, was, was it the guy with the weird, with the weird beard? Uh, it was, a guy, it was, it was a, a guy like my age, a little bit younger than me, with a mohawk and like Wolverine-style sideburns. Yeah, that guy. He's just... Yeah, they make great beer, but what a weird guy to have uh, representing your stuff. It's it's his company. I know that's the weird part. Look at that guy. I'm like, really, this is your company, and and but he makes great beer. Yeah, and that's uh, the Bruton Brewery, and yeah. uh, I believe the kid's name was Ayacapo. We'll try to tag. We'll try to tag him in this when we when we talk about it. And I did a Chilean tasting for Terapaca, and. San Pedro 1865. Some very good, uh, affordable bottles from there. Look at you getting out there. Yeah, and uh, it may sound a little bit weird because uh, you're not as close to me as you usually are. You know I'm, I'm further away. I'm six hours away. And you are really getting in the spirit of extending your summer. Yes, actually I am. At the moment I'm in Cordoba. And I would have to say it's probably about 22 degrees, which, you know what, I'm okay with. And we just got back from a bar called, uh, you know what, I don't remember what the name of the bar, Atario or something like that. That sounds and, like you're having a good uh, night. So, so Cordoba, that means you're in uh, Rioja? Spain, my friend, Spain. And how long have you been there? Uh, since uh, since Monday. About, a week, about a week, almost a week now. I will, I will be here for about a week by the time I get home. How about that? Well, how about that? When are you getting home? Uh, Saturday. Oh. Just just in time to get my honeydew list done. Your honeydew list? Oh, yeah, got it. Honeydew this. <laughs> get it. I mean, I'm, I'm newly I'm newlywed, so I don't completely get all these, like... Oh, it, you'll get it. I'm sure I will. You'll get the honeydew list. Basically, it's my wife's been. Oh, great! You're getting home on a, a, a middle of the afternoon on Saturday. Here's some stuff for you to do. So, well, what do you do? Um, why don't we talk about some good things then, instead of just bitching about the fact that you have to come back? <laughs> How, what the hell have you been well, doing this week? Yeah. Well, tonight we went. We went to a great little restaurant, and I, you know what? Here's the funny part. I lost that. Uh, you know, I don't know if you travel with it, but I always travel with. Uh, 
like a moleskin kind of uh, book. Yep. And uh, I lost it uh, today, and thankfully it's coming back Friday. But all my notes from those tastings are now lost until tomorrow, so you'll have to check my website at michaelpinguswinereview.com. But what I'm actually here for is called Grand Pagos de España. And uh, when they got in touch with me, I'm like, you know, you, you, you see these things and you're like, I've never heard of this before. But uh, I'm surprised I'd never heard of it. And now that I've heard of it, I'm all for it. Well, what is it? Oh, well, okay. Uh, it is uh, 29 members. And let, why don't you think of it as the Grand Crew of Spain? Okay. And what they are is... Um, Pagos, and that's what I really had to figure out what it was, is basically a single vineyard wine. Okay. Um, so if you think about, uh, let's let's bring it to an Ontario level, I guess. So let's go for Gamay, because we're both big fans of Gamay. Okay. And so Malavoir has the Courtney Vineyard Gamay. 13th Street has Sandstone Vineyard Gamay. What these guys are all about is single vineyard, single plot wines. And that's what it is. Pagos means single vineyard or single plot. So what they have is these 29 members, uh, and they have wines that are based on single vineyard. They don't have to be part of any specific DO, which are like the VQAs. Um all they have to do, and they don't have to be part of, as is usually the case for Europe, um, you know, they have, you know, if you're in Burgundy, you have to make Pinot Noir or Chardonnay. Uh, if you're in, you know, whatever part you have, if you're in Tuscany, you've got to make wine from San Giovese. Okay. Uh, these guys can make wine from anything as long as it's a single vineyard and as long as it falls within the rules of what these guys are making. How about that? So that's kind of cool because, I mean, you and I, we've spoken to many French winemakers, and I think it's becoming even more and more popular where, like, I mean, no one's going to really speak out and rock the boat. But I think we could definitely find a lot of French winemakers that would be willing and interested in working with different varieties and what they have planned in their, um, so what they have planted in their vineyards and regions. Yeah. And so these guys aren't, aren't devoted specifically to Grenache, uh, or Tempranillo, which you would think of for Spain. Like one of the places that I was at today, and let me just, uh, refer to, cause I got to look at different, uh, uh, different things on my list here. Um, oh, Cortillo Los Aguilars, which I'm sure my Spanish, my Spanish sucks even worse than my Italian, which is worse than your uh, French, which is better than my French is probably the best. And you always make fun of me for it. So my Italian is worse than my French and my Spanish is worse than my Italian. So if that helps you, but these guys, if you could imagine are making Pinot Noir in Spain. And it tastes like Pinot Noir. So how come they can't figure that out in most of California? I, you, you, you tell me. Um, but these guys make fabulous, and that's what they're known for. It's, it's Pinot Noir. 
You know what else they make? And, and I thought it was even better than the Pinot Noir? Petit Verdot, 100%. Oh, that's interesting. Holy... But holy... Deep rides here. It was fantastic. 100% Petit Verdot in huh. Spain. Well, give me a little bit more of a tasting note than that, because I'm, I'm finding Petit Verdot... Petit Verdot in Ontario is really interesting, and it's, it's really... Um, I think starting to be figured out what to do with Southbrook makes a great one and Legends Estates has a really good one as well but it's always about that really great acidity on the finish of those wines like they've got some nice depth and red fruit but it's always about that like zippy acidity on the finish of the Petit Verdot what does your yeah, definitely uh, the, the acidity but in, in a hotter climate like what we're talking about here um and I'll uh, and and I'm, I'm sure we'll laugh in a, in a few seconds when I tell you this. But first of all, we're looking at dark fruit. We're talking about the acidity. We're talking about a, a real nice peppery note, and that's what I really enjoyed about this. But um, so there, so this particular winery, and I'll try it again. Here I go. Really, ready for this? Cortillo Los Aguilar. I could be wrong again. Maybe Aguilar. It's Aguilar, I think. But okay. What they're, they're complaining about is because they make Pinot Noir and because they also grow Petit Verdot, those are the extremes of their harvest. So the Pinot Noir gets harvested sometime in early to mid-August, and then they finish their harvest sometime in October. So they have a two-month harvest, and they are one of the wineries in Spain that have the longest harvest season. Some people get done their harvest, if you can believe it, in a week or two weeks. These guys go, oh, it's such a hard harvest. We take two months. And if you think of what Ontario does. <laughs> and the thing is, like, so I know sparkling started at the very end of August, beginning of September. And we haven't uh, finished we you know, did, cabs and Syrahs and, and that's stuff, it. So. Like we did, we did uh, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir towards the end of September, beginning of October. I know a lot of the wineries have their cabs coming in now, and I know that it's sort of the joke of Niagara. What's going on with Stratus is we may not see Stratus bring theirs in until mid-November. But I mean, it's it's definitely not unusual to have harvest go until mid-November for table wine, and then let fruit hang even longer to get to the ice wine harvest. Correct. So you're talking about a harvest for table grapes, table wine, for four months, and then depending on what happens with ice wine, we're looking at maybe one or two more months. So we almost have a six-month harvest, and these guys are complaining about a two-month harvest. We're not complaining, but they're at least saying, you know, oh, we have such a, we have a hard a job because it's a two it's two months. You know, it's hilarious. It's kind of hilarious to hear it, and I feel like I I don't even know where to go with it. Well, what are the challenges with growing grapes in, in Spain? I know uh, my favorite question to ask uh, winemakers, especially when we're talking to Californians, and um, I mean just, um, I guess just people in general at this point, is how is climate change affecting them? Or what would the challenges be with growing those varieties in Spain? Well, obviously, you know, you have a very hot climate, so obviously keeping their acidity is, is always a problem. But I mean, that, but that's um, a, but let's be honest. Like that's a matter of of taste, and a lot of people really like 
um, you know, wines that we'll call slutty wines that are big, bold, and fruity, and the acids aren't necessarily there. I know for you and me, and those of us who really enjoy our food with our wine, holding acidity is key, but I guess it's a challenge, but not the end of the world if you drop some acids, right? Correct, but they, they realize that they, they can't just keep having, you know, 14, 14 and a half, 15 percent alcohol. They've yep. got to develop some acidity within those wines, and... Um, and that, I think that is their 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 problem. But one of the problems this year was in the south of Spain. They had um, uh, they had a huge rainstorm that happened in October, and some regions got as much as now catch this. You ready for this? Yep. Three hundred liters of rain uh, in one night. Huh. I- First off, I have a hard time kind of picturing how that's measured because we still measure in like millimeters, right? Right. And you're getting so they, like they were talking about liters, and I'm like, are you talking liters or, or or millimeters? And they're like liters. So one of the wineries told me that for one day the whole winery was not accessible because the rivers were so high, and and, and we went out to a vineyard today, and you could actually see. They showed us. They said. To, you know, uh, three days ago or whatever, the the road here was how you got to this part of the vineyard, but so many rocks had been displaced that it had blocked the the bridge to their secondary vineyard. So they have to actually get somebody in there in the next week or two to actually move these rocks. Rocks like not I'm not talking about little pebbles. I'm talking major rocks had been moved. I, I, had, I had seen vineyards where the where the grass that had once been sanding six feet high is now lying on the ground. That's how much rain we're talking about. So people died in these deluges of rain. Not to make light of how serious the rain was this year. I, I guess before I move on to the next question, I'm already I'm just taking a look at your Facebook real quick, and I'm kind of excited to geek out about one of the more tourist aspects, but. So is rain something that they pretty typically have an issue with, or is it just one of these things that it's kind of getting worse and worse in, you know, the well, recent memory? Uh, um, uh, climate change is definitely happening, but supposedly this has never happened before. This was all new to them. This much rain in this little, this little time was, uh, like, they couldn't stop talking about it, like, I was in three different regions, and all they kept talking about was this rain that fell. Some had 270 liters. Some had 300 liters liters of rain. In areas where that amount of rain is like half of what they get for the entire year, they got in one night. So how did it, how did it affect the vintage conditions for this year? Are we still going to be seeing some great wines from Cordoba? Well, yeah, you're going to be seeing some great wines from the, but what they had to do was they had to delay or they had to speed up because again, rains are coming in the next day or two, so they had to basically speed up and start picking the grapes to get them in. Um, and looking at some of the vineyard damage, they had vineyard vines that were actually ripped out of the ground. There was just Holy so much crap. rain. Okay. Um, so that that tells you what's what's going on here. But it was really weird. Like, you're going into a vineyard where they're saying, look, usually we would have you out here 
and you would see white soils. They have so much limestone and quartz uh, and rocky soils. But they said because of the rain, we now have mud out there, which is which is you know weird. They said, look, it should be white, but right now it's brown because there's so much rain. Did you take a bullet train to get to where you're going? I did take a bullet train. You posted a pretty great picture. I've on never Instagram. been on one before. I have not, but I've pretty seen quick. them. I, I remember being in, in Beaujolais right outside of uh, Georges Duboeuf, and a bullet train went by doing its like full speed, about 300 kilometers an hour. And, oh, man, those things well, move. Well, look, I, they, it's really funny because inside the train, it tells you the speed that the train is going. Now, I, I'll be honest, it was a two-and-a-half-hour two train. Yeah, I didn't always look up, but at one point, I, I think I was doing 180 kilometers an hour. Did you land in, land in Madrid and have to take the train down? No, I, I landed in Madrid, uh, and then we took a train down to, uh, hold on. I gotta, Seville. I got to look it up because sometimes, oh, Seville. Yeah, so the next we question I was going to ask you is, did you get a haircut in Seville? I did not. The well, barber was not available. Because Bugs Bunny apparently cuts people's hair in Seville. He does, but Yosemite Sam was doing it uh, that day, and uh, I didn't trust him. All right, so are any of the wines you're tasting available in Canada? Do you know what? Surprisingly, there's a lot of these wines that are available. Well, um, why, why don't you give me like a top three highlights, and we'll wrap it up and let you go to bed, because we're actually recording this much later than we usually do, which is definitely past your bedtime in Canada. It's yes. definitely, definitely past your bedtime in Spain. It's 2 a.m. there. So thank you for well, staying up to what, talk to me. Here's what ended up happening. Uh, some of my travel mates wanted to get a, what they call, uh, not what they call, but they wanted to get a gin and tonic, which seems to be a very popular drink here in um, Sounds like in my Spain kind of place. Days. Yeah, you'd love it. Uh, but I'm not a gin person, as you well know. And uh, I ended up, ended up having a couple of rum and cokes. So hopefully I'm coherent this evening. No, you're you're fabulously coherent. You're sober as a jaybird. Well, I guess it doesn't affect me like it used to. And you know what's Maybe amazing is sl- you've only dropped one F-bomb in this entire podcast, which means we're doing much better. Oh, I'm so proud of myself. Oh, hang on. Do you on. know what? I'm looking at some, at some notes here. Yeah. And um, here's, here's what I'm going to tell you. Uh, this one's available SAQ but not available in Ontario. It's a Marquez de Grignon family estates, um, and this was 100% Graciano from five-year-old vines, and this thing was absolutely a stunning piece of work. Uh, 20 months in French oak barrels, lots of smoky, spicy, peppery, floral. Like, this wine was one of those wines that everybody at the table was looking forward to and did not disappoint. Graciano is not one of those great varieties that's um, that's typical well, that that everybody makes because it's it's a tough grape to grow. Yep. And uh, it's a tough grape to get a good wine from. And these guys at uh, Grignon, G R I N O N, made such a fabulous bottle. I, I just can't believe how good it was. Well, and uh, there's a lot of. Go ahead. Um, maybe. The question I have, like, just from a, a tourism aspect, then, since I'm, I'm, 
I'm not going to make you list a bunch of wines that you're having a hard time pronouncing, and I'm actually not making fun of you right now. But let's just say. Oh no! Been... Trust me, it's hard to it's hard to come up with some of these. Yeah, yeah. Well, let, let, let's just keep it on MichaelPinkusWineReview.com for some notes on the wines that we can get. But if I'm a tourist that wants to get to get to Spain, and um, I know that the weather in Spain is certainly nicer at this time of year than it is in Canada, uh, what can I expect to pay for a bottle of wine where you are? Well, that's that's the thing. Um, you know, I'm looking at some of the stuff that that's uh, that's that's coming into it. Like these guys are not. It's not cheap. Like the stuff that I'm tasting is not cheap wine. Okay. Um, it's you know, like like look at this. Like there's a, a bottle uh, of wine from a winery called Alto, which you can get in in Ontario. Uh, it's through Trialto that it comes in through. It's eighty five ninety a bottle. And is that uh, what it, like this is eighty five ninety Canadian? What does it cost in Spain? Canadian. Yeah. What uh, it? So I never asked because they gave me the price in Canadian because we can get it here in Canada and a lot huh. of these wines you can get. This is it, it's a fabulous bottle of of wine from the Toro region, um, but I mean it's eighty five ninety a bottle. Like that's not that's not cheap stuff. Okay, but, but um, I know you and you, I, you and I we've been talking a little bit about about price and value, and the thing is. Um, I'd probably consider you a little bit more ground, grounded. I don't mind throwing that kind of money around on one bottle once or twice a year. If if you were me, if you were Andre, would it, you think it's worth the money? Not if you were Michael, if you were me. If I was you, would I pick a bottle of Alto up? Yeah. Uh, you know what? Soft, silky, juicy, mocha, chocolate, intense, cherry, really concentrated fruit. I think you'd really like that wine. 100% Tempranillo from Old Vines. And from what somebody told me, you know, we've talked about old vines, what constitutes old vines. And I, uh, I, from what I understand here in Spain, old vines are 50 years and older. I think that's pretty standard across uh, across the continent, but I know, that, that you know what, that, that's a discussion for another time. That, that definition needs to be defined by someone at some point, but I think 50 years, well, we can well, call them what, old that, vines. That's what Spain does. Like, yeah. I mean, they talk about it and they say... You know what? Uh, we have decided that uh, 50 years and older is constituted uh, old vines. Uh, you know, but I'm looking at something by uh, by Moro, the Moro 2016 Tempranillo, uh, another wine I thought was great, $76 a bottle, and that's available in Canada. I'm looking at Numanthia, uh, another 100% uh, Tinta de Toro, 18 months new French oak, fabulous bottle of wine. Uh, LCBO eighty four dollars. So, so the wines that I'm trying here are not the the cheap, easy drinking Juan Gill, um, Borseo bottles of wine that are you know easily accessible under twenty dollars. Uh, these are single vineyard, uh, single grape variety. Not always, but you know they express terroir. They express um, you know where they're from, and that's what the whole uh, uh, Gran Pagos uh, de España is all about. It's all about that single vineyard, single expression wines. So it's not cheap, but yes, I I think these wines are fabulous. And yes, I have tried sherry while I'm here, and there's some just sophisticated, fantastic bottles of sherry. And I will tell you, I'm not a big fan of fino. But I'm with a guy here from Germany called uh, Per Holmes, who I think 
uh, he may be an alcoholic. I'm not 100% sure on that. But he has a, 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 he starts every night with with at least two glasses of Fino, and he's kind of turned me on to some versions of Fino, which I've never been a fan of before. But as like... you know, when you visit a place, you start to develop a, a love or at least an appreciation for the wines from the region. And well, the and, place. It, and, and it's the one thing that you've, like I said, and I know I've said it on the podcast many, many times, is having the Michael Pincus voice in the back of my head. And uh, even listening to you wax nostalgic about um, the region that you're in right now, not even waxing nostalgic, just waxing poetic. Um, when you're traveling, make sure you really, really love the wine because the wine always tastes better when you're traveling and while you're there. And, uh, I know it's a lot to ask, but if you bring back a bottle from there, I look forward to opening it and talking about it on the podcast. Cause I know you've been pretty generous lately. Well, Andre, I'm just going to, I'm just going to take a quick look because there's one bottle of wine I have to tell you about. Now, okay. You but, but I, you got to make uh, it quick. Cause we're getting to our, we're getting to our like long podcast point and, I, I, I need to cook dinner. Okay, so here's what I'm going to tell you. You and I have had bottles of uh, um, of Grenache before. Yes. Correct? Yes, yes. What do you, when, when I say the word Grenache, what do you think? Uh, I think Grenache. I actually don't, I don't drink a lot of Grenache, so I don't think a whole lot. Most, most people think of a deep, dark, rich, plummy, cherry wine with lots of just rich fruit. And I, I, I swear to you, Andre, I had a bottle of this stuff called Belna Baleva, which I have never had before, and uh, Caril de Rey. This stuff, I'm, I'm not, you, if I poured it for you, you would have sworn it was Pinot Noir. Cool. It's, it's such a different version of Grenache, and it just kind of opened my eyes to the grape variety and what Spain does, that it's not just all those rich uh, black fruit uh, wines, that they make some wines with real elegance, real finesse. And I think that if I take nothing else away from this this trip and this look at Spanish wines, that there are some fantastically finesseful, elegant wines being made from grapes that we think and that the LCBO brings in as just, you know, rich, you know, 14 and a half, 15% alcohol wines. Uh, there are wines being made here that just blow the mind and totally um, reorganize your brain what you think they can do well on that note let us sign off and look forward to regrouping um i've been busy busy working on some podcasts that we have coming up featuring another uh stump the chump stump the soup with thomas bachelder uh oh yes we're gonna take a look back at our, our visit to saginay where we have the first time we really got a chance to get into bourbon with you but we also spent some time chatting about Beaujolais, and I think it's important we revisit that because I am going to be heading to Beaujolais in December. And Michael, thank you oh, for yes. thank you so much for staying up to talk uh, Spain with us. I'm sitting here looking at a map and looking at your Facebook pictures at the Grape Guy. If you take a look at Instagram, and uh, I'm insanely jealous that you're there right now. But um, thank you very much for sharing what's going on there with me. 
Well, thanks for reaching out and thanks for, for well, I would say staying up, but I guess I was the one who stayed up. But I, I know you wanted to get this done earlier, and uh, thanks for letting me have a couple of rum and cokes before I get on. <laughs> Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, leave comments. Um, I'm Andre Pru from underwinereview.ca. I'm Michael Pincus from michaelpincuswinereview.com. Say goodnight, Michael. Seriously, good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes.